Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health and mindset inside and out. With your host, Steve Katarzy. Yes, guys, welcome back. It's Steve here from Adapt Nation, and we have another great episode lined up for you today. Now, we're talking about diabetes in this episode, and it's easy for people that have not been diagnosed with diabetes, like myself, or are unaware if they may be dealing with some of the symptoms of diabetes, to brush this off as something that's not relevant. And I get that. I understand that. But the reality is diabetes is the second most prevalent disease we are faced with today across Western cultures and developing countries. It is considered today's modern lifestyle disease. And that should give us a clue that really much of this condition is a result of how we run our lives. So to bring this conversation to life, I have brought on the world-renowned expert in the field of diabetes and managing diabetes through nutrition and exercise. His name is Phil Graham. Now, Phil is a foremost expert in this field for one primary reason. He is type 1 diabetic. He has the autoimmune condition, which means he can never rid himself of this condition, and it is fatal if unmanaged. So with his obsession of diabetes, understanding it at the most basic fundamental levels, understanding the triggers and how to manage it, he has carved out a highly successful career. So we're going to talk about that from his childhood to being diagnosed to the career that he developed in spite of being diabetic. And then we shift into really getting into the nuts and bolts of what diabetes is. What is it at a physiological level, the signs and symptoms, the differences between type 1, type 2, and pre-diabetes, the causes of diabetes, and some of the corrective actions that you can take specific to the type that you have. This is a great episode. It's short. Um, hopefully, you get a ton of value. And if you want to hear more from Phil Graham, then look through to the show notes where you'll get links to all of his available online resources. Enjoy this one, guys. Adaptation. Guys, I love my job. I get to speak with amazing people and true experts in their field. I get to learn new things every day and share those things with you guys. And today is no exception. Today, we've got a fantastic guest on the call today. Let me give you a bit of an intro. So he's a foremost leader in the space of living with and managing diabetes when it comes to optimizing nutrition and exercise. He's a recognized world uh, leader in this space in particular, and has been asked to speak globally about this subject. He's a best-selling author of a book called Diabetic Muscle and Fitness Guide. He's got a business by the same name. And as someone who has type 1 diabetes, he really knows what it's like to grapple with this condition and still thrive. But that's not all. This guy with that so-called limitation has had a successful career in bodybuilding in his 20s, participating in Mr. Universe. He's a renowned fitness business coach with a real talk, no BS message uh, that has fueled a number of successful careers. He's a self-taught entrepreneur. 
and is impressive to see in action. His automation, his systems, his class, his skilled processes. And he also hosts a popular podcast called The Fitness Entrepreneur Podcast. And last but not least, he's one of those cool, calm, and collected kind of guys. You'll hear how switched on he is, his strength, his mental attitude, and his rock-solid habits through this podcast. So without further ado, I welcome Phil Graham. Welcome, man. Steve, thank you very much for having me on. And I just want to say uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. And uh, I know how much time putting these podcasts takes. And for you to take that time to voluntarily give information out, reach out, uh, I respect that and the amount of value you want to bring to your audience. So, uh, dude, I'm ready to share uh, a ton of insights on life with diabetes and pretty much everything else. So please work away. Fantastic. So listen, I know we are, we're going to keep this one concise, slightly lower, uh, shorter time than we normally do. Um, but in a summarized fashion, do you just want to key off a 30,000 foot view off of what I've just said? Hopefully it's mostly in line with reality, but just give our listeners a quick sense of, you know, yeah. your journey uh, and really the career, how you define your career today, Phil. Yeah, well, I mean, I want to I want to keep it concise because I think on podcasts, a lot of people can waffle. And let's face it, everybody listening to this is here for gems. And if you have diabetes or you don't have diabetes, there are going to be some really valuable insights on life, on nutrition, on training that I'm going to share with you. So if I roll back to when I was 16, right, I was brought up in a middle-class family in Belfast in Northern Ireland. And we really had no focus on health, exercise. I didn't come from a family that revolved around sport or fitness. I came from a, from a, a normal family that revolved around big dinners and, how can I put it? Well, great home cooking. And uh, I was never really into sport. And when I was 16, I was, I was overweight. I wasn't obese, but, you know, I would have been the kind of guy that would have had, you know, sandwiches, biscuits, bottom drawer, the fridge, all that kind of stuff. And I would have never really had any priorities when it came to looking after my health. I was not interested in reading information on it or even revolving around individuals that partake in sport. So you know what it's like when you're in school, if, you, if you're not into sport and you go into the changing rooms, you've always got like a handful of guys that are really fit or girls that are really, really fit and really, really athletic. I wasn't one of those guys. Now, I remember distinctly, I was going to school one morning and I noticed that my eyesight had gone very blurry and I was looking out the windows of the bus and I noticed that number plates were very hard to read. That's the, the, the very distinguishing moment that I realized that something was wrong. So if you're driving a car and it depends on how good your vision is, but I always remember that I was able to make out number plates and these number plates were very hard to read. My eyesight had gone blurry. And on top of that, I was eating you know, every morning we would have traveled in on the bus to school and we would have had what we call an Ulster fry, which is basically bacon, eggs, bread, basically a whole collection of extremely tasty, highly calorific, hyper palatable food. And I remember having this blurry vision going, there's something wrong with my eyes. The next thing that started to happen was I noticed I was going to the toilet a lot and not knowing what was going on, I continued to consume more food. And I'll go into the uh, physiology of it in a minute why what was happening but I noticed I was going to the toilet a lot and I felt very lethargic felt very thirsty and I said to myself this doesn't feel right said to my mom a few times oh you must have something must be something going around that was that and 
it wasn't until I said maybe the third or fourth time that I went to the doctors for a checkup. Long story short, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes within the space of five minutes. And how they diagnosed that was they gave me a, a drink of glucose. It is called a glucose intolerance test. And they measured my blood glucose response. And basically, it was off the charts. So if you want to understand what diabetes is in a very concise layman's term, it's basically a group of metabolic diseases categorized by high blood glucose. And it results from a defect in insulin secretion, insulin action, or both. Now, insulin is a hormone that you produce inside your pancreas, inside your body, naturally. And it organizes the use of storage, use and storage of fuels within your body. So it organizes carbohydrates as glycogen. It uh, organizes fat as adipose tissue. It helps with protein synthesis and mineral metabolism. So if you don't produce insulin, what happens is you get a buildup of these metabolites inside the bloodstream. And when you get a buildup of these metabolites inside the bloodstream, stuff starts to go wrong. That's why we see so many circulatory uh, problems with diabetes. And especially in the likes of the eyes, especially in the likes of the liver and the organs where there's a lot of micro vessels. And when I was being diagnosed, one of the, the nurses, uh, Margaret Devlin, she's actually, she's actually passed away now, but she, I always remember she said to me uh, about the analogy of what high blood glucose was like. She was like, imagine your capillaries and your vessels like streams and everything's flowing down it fluidly. And imagine high blood glucose like boulders coming down the stream, tearing into the sides of the banks and all that kind of stuff. So that's why we see um, a high risk of cardiovascular disease because there's a lot of like lacerations and just basically scarring inside the, the cardiovascular system. And that then attracts cholesterol on top of, you know, bad uh, lifestyle, smoking, stress, overweight, blah, 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 blah. By blood glucose control, it really conflicts with the flow of blood to the, the important areas. So infection, immune function, all those kinds of things are compromised. Now, I remember after I was diagnosed, I was walked down this hallway. My mom was with me. She was bawling in tears. And like normally when your mom starts to bawl in tears, you sort of begin, like, when you're a young guy at 16, you sort of think something's wrong. And my mom was a healthcare professional, so... I really knew something was broken, right? And uh, I didn't know what diabetes was, but I, I distinctly remember going into this really cool, dark clinical room. And it was a dark green olive door. I remember opening the door and speaking to the diabetes specialist. And I remember seeing these posters on the wall, like diabetic complications, diabetic foot, people with their legs come off. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? And I remember sitting, having the interview. And there were a number of words that stood out for me. And those words were nutrition, exercise, physical activity, lifestyle, and mindset. And if you look at my life, Steve, that's all the areas that my life represents. So I got a great level of hope from those words. All the words that were used whenever I was being diagnosed were might, could, possibly, potentially. I saw these five words as my savior. So overnight, I literally became engrossed in studying these areas and committed my life to studying these areas. I went to university, I, I continued my education. I work with some of the smartest professors and mentors in the world in all of these areas with an attempt of trying to protect and promote my own life because diabetes is pretty serious in the sense if you get it wrong for a very short period of time, you're, you're pretty much good as dead. And uh, I'm talking about that very casually, but it's factual. And Long story short, uh, I committed my life to mastering these areas. And the first thing was nutrition. First thing was training. 
I fell in love with training and went to a local bodybuilding gym. Very intimidated at the start. I remember walking into this gym, there was these guys throwing weights up and down. And uh, I was very intimidated and I took a recumbent bike at the back. But over, over, over time, I began to progress down the gym. I went to the chest press machine. I went to the hack squat. I went to the Smith machine and then ended up in the dumbbell place, which is like the dungeon, right? <laughs> and uh, I started lifting. And lifting gave me a sense of purpose. It gave me the ability to build strength when I knew that my health was weak. So long story short, I had a, uh, eventually a, a continued and built momentum and I had a very successful bodybuilding career as a junior. And I traveled all over the world and I competed. And long story short, everything that I did within that career, I was told that I wasn't going to be able to do. Everything that I read about diabetes, everything that I saw, I saw nobody who was able to do any of this stuff. So if you can imagine being told that by clinical professionals and doctors and then being able to achieve it, you can imagine the level of detail, measurement and commitment that went into that. And when I did all of that, whilst I was doing it, I went and studied clinical nutrition in university and I began talking about it, preaching about it, demonstrating it with my life. And I then, uh, my, my goal in life was to become a dietitian. I then attracted clients. I then attracted people that, they, that weren't diabetic that basically said to me, look, I wanted to train me. I wanted to teach me this. And I understood all the nutritional angles from a, a normal, healthy individual. So I built a personal training business. I pretty much got booked solid uh, overnight. Started doing nutrition programs. Started selling those. Started selling ebooks. And long story short, that quickly escalated. My name got out there, and I became a go-to guy for contest preparation, getting people in shape, and established myself as one of the top trainers in Ireland. And then that evolved into education. I started speaking. I started writing. I was writing for the Daily Mail. I was, I just basically started using my knowledge and putting it into places and then started public speaking. And my name grew and grew and grew with, as an authority within the nutrition and sort of body composition area. And this was way before sort of social media had sort of kicked off or, you know, Instagram wasn't even around back then. And long story short, I then continued to operate my personal training business. I I was an educator on the side. I was traveling all over the world speaking. And I noticed a large amount of my clientele began to become personal trainers. So they wanted to know how to build a better business, how to do this and how to do that. And I was sort of growing away from the one-to-one -one coaching thing. I was sort of growing away from the online coaching. And, you know, I said, right, I'm going to need an exit for this. So I, I began to write a book called The Diabetic Muscle Fitness Guide. And I said, I'm going to write this from the perspective of the young Phil, but I'm not going to write it as a hardcore bodybuilder. I'm going to write it from a, a guy or a woman that wants to build muscle. And I just took all, everything that I learned and I documented it in that book. And now that book has been all around the world, sold in pretty much every country you can imagine. And we've created a membership area where we've got members from all around the world uh, basically taking the most up-to-date research information in layman's terms and diabetes, implementing it into their lives and having massive improvements in their health. And we've had contributions from a range of healthcare professionals from all over the world. We've had healthcare professionals reach out. I've been very uh, particular with the information that I share, making sure that it's, it's sound, robust, evidence-based and objective. And uh, it's also written in language that's understandable. And uh, that's, that's been a great movement. It's helped a lot of people. And uh, when I wrote that, I was tailing off my personal training career and uh, I was bodybuilding at the same time, competing around the world. <laughs> and I uh, then had the demand 
with so many personal trainers that I was coaching, uh, I just I stopped the one to one and I responded to the market and went down the line of helping personal trainers and coaches and gym owners grow their business. And that's what I do full time now. Uh, and again, I I travel all over the world. I've been in, you know just back from LA, uh, Dubai, Slovenia. I've spoken pretty much uh, uh, all over Europe. Um, starting to speak more now in the states and uh, a big event in London next next week. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a very exciting journey, but none of it would have been possible if I hadn't been diagnosed with diabetes. And I think that that is a, a very profound lesson for everyone listening, because I want you to realize that in life, your most chaotic events are your best mentors. Your most chaotic events are the things that are going to teach you what to do and what direction to take. And they will lead you to somewhere, but you've got to look at them as guidance and you've got to utilize them. You've got to follow them. I could sit and complain about diabetes ruining my life and whatever, but diabetes has given me the opportunity, uh, opportunity to help a lot of people, to have my free time to build my wealth. It's given me the opportunity to, to learn and discover myself more and meet a lot of people. So for that, I'm very, very grateful. And that's a very, very rare uh, scenario that you will come across. You know, I don't, diabetes does not interfere with my life uh, in any way, shape or form. I understand that I control it. And again, one of my, my core philosophies in life is any area of your life you don't control, somebody else will. So I've spent a lot of time uh, perfecting that. And, I, you know, it's, it's always a learning curve. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's my story in a nutshell. Uh, that's diabetes in a nutshell. And there are a lot of challenges that come with diabetes, um, which I'll elaborate on uh, when it comes to muscle building and fat loss. And one of the big, big side effects of diabetes is high blood glucose. And whenever you have high blood glucose, just imagine the nutrients that you're consuming cannot be utilized effectively. And as a result of that, you tend to be catabolic. So you could eat a ton of cake, you could eat a ton of high calorie food, and it would not allow you to gain body fat. Why? Because you're not utilizing the fuel. So sometimes when I hear nutrition information spouted off, I have to rejig it with the diabetes framework and understand that you know there are two, there are very two main types of diabetes, type 1 and type 2, which are most common. There's other forms as well. But type 1 is an autoimmune condition that results of complete inaction, okay, and a reduced sensitivity over time. We have an earlier phase in type 1 diagnosis called the honeymoon period, whereby there's still a part of the pancreas that is producing insulin, and that eventually ceases off. So the immune system attacks the cells uh, within the atlas of Langerhans, and the whole, whole go of other biochemical uh, and enzymatic reactions go on, but I'm not going to go into that. And uh, type 2 is a, a mixture of genetics and, and lifestyle and a ton of other stuff that they're still researching. There's no real concrete evidence, but there's a lot of indicators that you know there's potential autoimmune, there's triggers in the environment, and it basically, not that insulin completely stops, but it's just not sensitive. So there's a defect in the insulin action, what we call insulin sensitivity. So if diabetes is unmanaged, high blood glucose or hyperglycemia is a byproduct. And we see amino acid breakdown, we see dehydration, we see mineral uh, and electrolyte depletion. Um, we see uh, you know, a buildup of fatty acids in the blood in a very acidic condition. And uh, when I talk about acidic, this is you know, beyond physiological. Not that you, you know, we hear people talking about acidic and alkaline. This is very relevant in diabetes. Um, hypoglycemia is a result of uh, too much insulin in the bloodstream resulting in low blood glucose. And as a result of that, when you have low blood glucose, imagine how you feel after running a marathon. 
right? Mm. So like that, you can't operate, so your brain can't function. So you have a, a very low level of energy, very snappy, and again, it's, it's hard to function in either hyperglycemia or hypoglycemia because they're not normal physiological ranges. So from a diabetic perspective, it's very important that you keep your blood glucose tightly regulated, okay? And so your blood glucose needs to be very, very regulated within a tight range. And again, depending on what country you're coming from uh, and what you measure it in, generally speaking, it's around about between 4.5 and sort of around about 7.2 millivolts per liter. And that's what I tend to, uh, to go around. If you are diagnosing diabetes, there are a range of tests, most no notably the HbA1c, um, it's an average six-month blood glucose test, and it needs to be sort of under 6.5 fasting blood glucose level of in the roundabout uh, seven millimoles per liter. Uh, random blood glucose sample, if you're over 11.1, you know these are all uh, signs um, of, of problems with insulin and, and blood glucose management. And you know diabetes is prevalent all over the world. It's probably you know the second most prevalent uh, condition across the world. Um, in economically and uh, economically developed countries and challenged countries, sorry, um, and you know it's, it's a big, big cost to the to the taxpayer. But a lot of the diabetes conditions with type two, which is the majority, the majority are type two, uh, can be prevented. So if I said to you, Steve, how many type one diabetics do you know? You probably couldn't count them on your one hand, Agreed. right? So you know it's a condition whereby. A type one is the minority and type two is the majority. A lot of people get confused between the two, um, but I've explained the reasons, uh, you know, differentiating those two. So, so just you know, a, maybe a, a quick interrupt there. Apologies there, Phil. Um, is, it, is it fair to say that there's a, some correlation, some causal link between uh, people that get obese and or a high carbohydrate diet? Would you say that there's linkage to that or is it, well, I, is it purely I, I, speculative? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say high carbohydrate diet is the main reason for it because you could be having a high carbohydrate diet. You could be extremely active with uh, exercises that use up a lot of glycogen and fuel. The problem is, is when you consume calories in excess, whereby it leads to an abnormal uh, deposition of adipose tissue, which ultimately conflicts with the hormonal signaling of uh, the body's normal uh, physiological responses. And can literally, you know, impact insulin sensitivity. And the degree of that is very different from individual to individual. There are other factors that are coming involved there. So, like genetic effect, genetic defects, drugs and chemicals, uh, pancreatic conditions or diseases, or even you know, cancer of the pancreas, um, surgery and infection on the pancreas, you know, around that area, um, chronic stress, lack of sleep, smoking. You know, all of these factors combined are an element. It's very hard to point the figure at one thing and say, hey, that's an issue. But in the grand scheme of things, if we look at the majority of individuals, I always use the, the lorry driver, extremely inactive, consumes a lot of hyperpalatable, <clears throat> low volume food, and high calorific. You know, there's a, a large energy surplus there that's not being burnt off and over time that accumulates and that puts additional stress on everything else. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's context really, but you know, uh, Overconsuming the amount of calories that you need to function, uh, and uh, you know if you're consuming a lot of calories, you're you've got a high demand on your insulin output, and your pancreas is working very very hard. And if there are other factors underneath all of that that are also conflicting, then you're going to stress it out. Does that make sense? So how you reverse that is by exercising, particularly strength training. Why strength training? Whenever you contract a muscle fiber, it what we call facilitates. Uh, what we call glucose transporters to the surface of the of the, the muscle cell, which actually uh, depo or, um, 
utilize glucose independently in a way of insulin. So strength training can actually utilize glucose from the bloodstream without insulin, okay? Um, so that's why it's so useful. Building, a, uh, building muscle is one of the best things for people with type 1 diabetes. Why? Because muscle is the largest sink for carbohydrate storage. Uh, strength training utilizes glucose as fuel. There is one exception, though, to the strength training aspect. When you strength train or do any high-intensity activity, you have an increase in what we call the stress hormones, corticotropins, adrenaline, all that kind of stuff that drives up blood glucose levels. And in people with diabetes, they don't have the insulin to counteract that. So you need to pharmaceutically correct it with the right amount of insulin. So there's a, a, a finite level of control uh, that needs to be involved with, with exercise and lifestyle management in anyone with diabetes. Okay, okay. I'm obviously not diabetic, so I'm just asking curious and sometimes naive questions. But help help me understand um, what um, someone who's pre-diabetic might look like, or someone who has not yet been diagnosed, who may be full-blown diabetic. How would you be? Aware, how would you start to be aware of it personally that there might be something amiss? Well, if you go to your healthcare professional and look at your blood work. It gives you a snapshot of the physiology that goes on. And you know, if you've got like lack of sleep, high levels of stress, high levels of body fat, um, and your diet's a mess, and you're not eating nutrient-dense food and you're not exercising, then there's a high probability that you're setting yourself up for obesity and potential diabetes. If you've got it in the family, then there's a potential higher risk of diabetes happening. And the best way to basically correct that is to one, get accountable, get yourself a great coach that knows what they're talking about. Trust me, it pays for itself. You know, the cost of not investing in a coach when you don't know what you're doing in respect to your health and fitness will cost you your life. And, uh, you know, I'm all about simplicity and layering things up. The first thing is one, start moving more, put a, fit, a Fitbot, Fitbit or whatever you call it, a, a pedometer on your wrist and set a target to move. Okay. Secondly, use something very simple. Like if you want to track calories, use my fitness pal and just track within an alliance or use hand portion sizes and start regulating that in relation to what your body weight is. Over time, if you've never exercised before, gradually add a little bit of exercise in, you know, layer it in. Problem with newbies is that they want to do everything tomorrow. And the reality is they end up getting overly sore. They can't commit. They can't sustain it. Subconsciously, they build the belief that they can't do it. So everything needs to be layered in. And that's why working with a coach is paramount. So, uh, you know, sleeping, you know, making sure your environment, you're around right, the right people. If you live in a household with five people that consume junk food, talk crap, smoke, drink, you're likely to become the sixth. And uh, you just want to optimize your environment. Uh, you know, make sure you've got the fundamentals, moving, uh, good quality food, colorful diet, high volume foods. You're consuming a good amount of protein um, from good quality sources and you're getting healthy fats in. And you're keeping the likes of hyperpalatable foods, junk food per se, down 20% or less of your calories. You can certainly eat junk food if you want, but it's very easy to overeat. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it, man. That sounds very similar to guidance you'd give any anyone, right? Who's trying to optimize their nutrition, feel a little bit healthier, you know, just generally be a better person. Uh, you know, it's pretty much the lifestyle that I follow and and. Um, I push out there. Is is there is there a sensitivity, a difference, or do you have to amp up any of your recommendations for someone who is currently struggling with diabetes? So the, in respect to pre-diabetes, there is still going to be insulin produced. So you have to look at how can we make the insulin do its job better. We bring down body fat, we start utilizing more fuel and moving more, we build our muscle mass. 
that's going to allow the insulin to work more effectively and take stress off the pancreas. Secondly, if somebody has diabetes in terms of nutritional management, let's just say with type 1, they need to be mindful of the amount of carbohydrate that they eat in a meal. Why? Because carbohydrate is the main factor that basically determines blood glucose factor besides the liver. The liver also puts out glucose uh, whenever it's stressed, whenever in the middle of the night when the hormones are, are produced, the growth hormone and stuff like that for repair and recovery. Um, so making sure that blood glucose is balanced from meal to meal and that you're injecting the appropriate amount of insulin, that is the hormone that shovels the uh, carbohydrate content into the muscle cells. If you take too much insulin, you'll have a hypo. If you take uh, too little, you'll be hyper. And it's being proactive in the management of that cracking data over a period of time, getting used to a diet and learning how to feel your way around it by adjusting your dose over certain meal periods and scenarios across the course of your life and discovering that diabetes is a constant experiment. And that's probably sounding very overwhelming for a lot of people, even yourself, Steve. Uh, but it's a responsibility that we have. It's a big responsibility. And like I said, if you don't commit your life to learning about it, then it's going to control you. Diabetes does not control me. I control it. And, uh, you know, that has been a lifetime of work um, doing that. Have I enjoyed it? Yes, because it's brought me many benefits into my life. Oh, so I suppose it's a level of self-awareness um, that most people wouldn't wouldn't have, right? Because you are so, you know, so connected with how your body's responding to food and your lifestyle that most of us can be quite casual about so that must be pretty empowering what about um yeah. what about reversing diabetes so so they follow if if um someone's to follow your recommendations of you know move strength train eat nutritious food get rid of the junk food get good sleep try and re remove some you know lifestyle anxiety and they yeah. start seeing a positive improvement in just general feeling mood and energy is it um probable or or potential that they can start to lower their needs on insulin and um, you know start to drive towards a point of reversing diabetes well you cannot reverse type one yeah uh, you can put type two into submission to a degree by uh, remission um, in this in the sense of you're improving your glycemic control but you know the the big point here is catching it before it happens it's prevention rather than cure you know, and all the stuff that I suggested there for the pre-diabetes, starting to move more, starting to get accountable, all that kind of stuff is going to put you, is going to keep you safe. And have you have you had clients that have gone into complete remission when it comes to type two diabetes? Most of the most of the clients that I work with are type one. To be honest, we have a, a coaching. Uh, facility, a coaching service with diabetic muscle and fitness, uh, and we have uh, two top leading dietitians that that deliver that. Uh, when people's weight drops, uh, when they build muscle mass, when they get stronger, what happens is that their yeah their blood glucose dramatically improves. But in terms of you know someone with type one, the, the pancreas does not physically produce yeah. insulin anymore. So or to, in a very small proportion, it would never be optimized. Uh, in type two, you can certainly dramatically change somebody's life because they've they've had a life of you know bad habits and bad eating behaviors. Uh, but again, there are people that are underweight that are also type 2 as well, whereby it's either genetic or there's some drug or something else going on. And again, <clears throat> you know, helping those guys look at the, the pinpointing the lifestyle issues that they have is, is a big priority. Last question for you, Phil, because I know we're, we're short on time. As you think about the responsibilities of governments, industry, uh, local institutions, 
what do you think needs to change or what are you seeing change or what studies need to happen for us to get a better gr grip on um, the epidemic rise of diabetes? Because if I'm not mistaken, diabetes is something that is, um, you know, is, is increasing year on year and has been doing so for decades, but it hasn't been something us as humans have had a huge issue with up until, say, the last 60 to 80 years. Am, am I right in saying that? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if we look at, you know, how everything's evolved, we're now moving less, we're now, we now have greater access to hyperpalatable food. You know, you put a, a 500 calorie ready meal in the microwave and it's ready in two minutes, whereas years ago it would have taken you hours and hours and hours to hunt. And put down to our access to food has improved. And, you know, the reality is we are getting fatter as a nation, despite the fact that fitness is growing. Everything else is, you know, it's quite easy to undo a hard workout, right? With a, a McDonald's milkshake and a burger, right? right? So it's a constant battle against, you know, this convenience food. And I think that just a greater level of public awareness in relation to eating and moving is all that can be done, really. Um, and again, you have to see why people want to change. You know, not everybody wants to be a fitness fanatic. And it's very easy for us to look at the general population and go, well, they should be doing this and they should be doing that. It, it takes somebody to reach a chaotic event of their life or to really realize themselves as falling short of their true potential or ruining their health to actually turn around. And I think, you know, you'll agree. I don't know how you got into health and fitness, Steve, but you know, you're technically now providing to people value on something that you once got value out of your life from. So, you know, it's not everybody's on the same page as the coach. And I think that's very important to realize. I, I agree. I agree. It's, it's easy. It's easy to do the right things when you've built up the habits, you've seen the value firsthand and yeah, you put some time in and it can feel alienating. Uh, to describe my way of life to someone who is doing none of those things. It just seems completely extreme. Um, but I think personally, the things that you've recommended, they're intuitive, they're instinctive, people know they should be doing it. But we get caught in a trap of lifestyle and habits and convenience. And it's hard to kind of strip away from the things that we got caught into. Do you see um, science progressing in a way which will be material over the next 10 to 20 years as it as relates to diabetes or do you think really this comes down to lifestyle yeah i think i think that you know i think there is a cure and i think they already have it they just haven't rolled it out yet um like the advances in diabetes technology and blood glucose monitoring have, have been you know colossal um I mean, I keep, I'm very old school. Why? Because I understand my diabetes, I understand my body, but we've now got things like CGMs, which are called continuous blood glucose meters, and uh, we can check our blood glucose without even finger pricking ourselves. Um, but I I've, think everything... I've seen, someone, I've seen someone wear, a, or I know someone who wears a device that pumps insulin in. Um, yeah. It's constantly monitoring and pumping in based on their ingestion of food and where their blood glucose levels are. I mean, do you, do you, do you think that's a, a good solution? Yeah. I mean, the, the, certainly yes, but again, understand it. You know, it's not just a matter of attaching something to someone and saying, "Hey, um, you know, use this." Uh, it's a matter of looking at all those variables with lifestyle, because you know, if you give a pump like that to the average member of the public who doesn't know what they are, uh, you know, doing, it's it's going to conflict. You know what I mean? And you know, you have to be looking at the lifestyle, the mindset, the nutrition, the monitoring, the accountability. You need accountability with a, a good medical team as well to keep you right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I would say just upon reflection, uh, that individual that I'm speaking about, 
uh, when I asked him, you know, how was it like, um, you know, living with diabetes? And he's putting a little bit of weight and he isn't, isn't particularly active. But he would say, oh, it's fine. I've got this thing. It means I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want. You know, life is good. And I couldn't help walk away from that going, you're just not taking responsibility. Albeit, I'm sure it's heroin and I'm sure you need the pump you've got. But he, he literally doesn't need to think about his food because this is taking care of it for him. And I, I kind of feel that must be leading him down a path of worse health. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he's not taking into account nutrient density. He's not taking into account volume, calories, all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah, the blood glucose aspect of it may be monitored to a degree, but, you know, there's a lot of other variables there that need to be accounted for. Um, and that's just, you know, in a sense, you know, um you know uh negligence really you know so yeah cool phil thank you so much for your time man i appreciate this and uh it's definitely educated me a little so thank you man how can people find your work whether they be on the professional side so they're personal trainers or they're just interested on that flip side of the diabetes conversation we've just had so if you're interested in diabetes want to read more about it i've written a book called the diabetic muscle and fitness guide you can get it at diabeticmuscleandfitness.com uh if you're a personal trainer and uh you want to grow your business and you want to know more about marketing and all those kinds of nitty-gritty aspects of actually building a business and putting your message out to the world go to phil-graham.com and you'll get me there Cool. And you've got a fantastic Instagram presence, uh, I must add. You've got a very kind of a straight talking, no BS messaging and memes. And, and I love that. So what's your Instagram handle? My Instagram is just philgram01. I've tried to get the philgram, but some guy seems to have hogged it and uh, only uploaded a photograph of a dog. So I'll have to do with philgram01. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you know, sometimes life sucks in that way. But yeah, um, guys, please do feel free to reach out. Uh, add me or whatever and Steve I, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time to reach out to me um, I'm a very busy guy and I know we uh, had to put this podcast off with, with some of my work schedule um, so uh, thank you for having the patience and the persistence to uh, uh, go through with me and that, that says a lot about you as an individual so yeah Steve thank you very much it's a privilege and an honour man thank you Phil take care man my pleasure If you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation.